Amen. Amen. Please take your seats and go ahead, grab your Bibles and open them up to Acts chapter 2, continuing in our series. Acts chapter 2, today, verses 42 to 47. Go ahead, quickly get there in your Bible. Acts 2, 42 to 47. And once you're there, please stand again with me as we read God's word and pray. It's a quick turnaround. I can wait. It's all right. Wonderful. Acts 2, 42 to 47 says this. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple, together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. Let's pray. So Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you, O God, for your grace. Lord, we thank you, Lord, that you have saved us and you have filled us with your Holy Spirit. Lord, we thank you, O God, that we can live in community with one another, a spirit-led community, O God, called your church. Lord, be with us, Lord. We need you. Strengthen us, O God, for we are weak. Help us, God, for we are helpless. Lord, we need you. Please, Holy Spirit, teach us your word. Lord, change our hearts to be more like your son, Jesus Christ. We love you and need you. We pray in his name. Amen. Please be seated. So the title of our message today is A Normal Church. But what is a normal church? What is a normal church? How do we define that? What is normal? What is the church supposed to do? What makes up the essence of the church? Is it the size of the church? Is it the quality of the ministries offered throughout the year at the church? Is it the skillful music that is played? Is it even the personality of the pastor or the preacher? No, I don't think any of these things are the essence of the church. The, the essence of the church is that there are people who are filled with the Spirit of God coming together and living amongst one another in a way that the Spirit would have them live. And that is the church. That is the essence of the church. Spirit-filled people doing life together. It's amazing to look back at the early church. These Christians who were saved this day, these are our ancestors in the faith. It's cool to look back at our history. This is where it all began. And we can look back and see how they lived. Luke here, as he writes this, he gives a glowing review of the early church. This is what happened after they believed they were baptized, 3,000 were added in that day, and, and then we see what they did. It's amazing. It's amazing. It's a great picture of the church. They had devotion. 
There was teaching, there was fellowship and prayer, and of course it wouldn't be a church unless there was food, so they ate together as well. We can read this, per, uh, this passage and be encouraged, and I think we should be encouraged, but I've, 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 I've heard people looking at this passage, and, they, and a lot of people come at it with two different perspectives. One is that it's just a historical recalling. There's no instruction for us. There's no expectation for us. This is just a historical documentation of what happened in the early church. It's partially true. It is what happened. It is historical. Other people look at this and they're very discouraged when they read this. I personally know of people who have looked at this and they look through the book of Acts. They see the early church and they go, wow, the church can never be like this. We don't have it right. Everything we do is wrong. I'm not even going to be a part of the church. I think both of those ideas are way off the mark. I disagree with both of those thoughts. It's not just a historical and unique situation here. It's also something that shouldn't discourage us or make us think like this is unattainable or this is super crazy or this is abnormal. No, this is actually very normal what's going on here. We often romanticize the early church. We think they had it all figured out. They had it all together. They, they really had all the problems ironed out, which we know isn't true because if any of us have read, say, the book of 1 Corinthians, we would know there was tons of problems in the early church and things they had to work on, just like us. We shouldn't think that their community is too far removed from us and what we can have here. The reality is, is that the early Christians, the first Christians, the first and early church, they didn't have one thing that we don't have today. There's no blessing, there's no help, there's no knowledge, there's, there's no special ability, there's, there's no fruit that they bore that we can't have now. We have the same gift of the Holy Spirit that they had that day. We have the same Savior who died for our sins. We have the same baptism that we walk through the waters in obedience and we have the same ability to live in godliness together. This is not out there. This is not other. This is normal for the church. As spirit-filled people come together. This is a very achievable and accessible reality for us today. Why? Because the same spirit of God is living in us. Have you believed in Jesus Christ? Then the same spirit of God is living in you. And so this is achievable and accessible. So the question isn't, can this happen or is this normal? The question really for us is, are we a spirit-filled people? Are we a spirit-filled people? Are you a spirit-filled person? Have you received the gift of the Holy Spirit that Peter spoke about in verse 38 of the same chapter? Have you believed in Jesus Christ have you accepted his salvation? Have you walked through the waters of baptism in obedience to your Savior? And, and if so, church, what is hindering us from being normal in the Spirit? We shouldn't seek anything more. We shouldn't seek anything less than being this normal church. A church that lives with the implications of being Spirit-filled people. Spirit-filled people who have Spirit-filled devotions. So let's look at our text today. We have four points. 
all of them coming out of the idea that we are spirit-filled people, just as they were here in the early church. So here's our first point, verse 42. As spirit-filled people, we will have continual devotion. We will have continual devotion. Verse 42 says this, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. So these were the people that were just saved in verse 41. 3,000 of them. Amazing. And as new believers in Christ, they were living together. They were doing life together. And it was a Christ-centered community. Christ is what brought them together. And Christ is who is sustaining them. I love how this verse begins. They devoted themselves. They were devoted. They were devoted. In the, in the Greek, the word there, it it implies quite um, emphatically that it's a continual devotion. It's not just flash-in-the-pan devotion, like I got fired up one week and now for a week I'm going to do these things. No, it's a continual devotion, a, a life-pursuit devotion. The only reason we ever devote ourselves to anything is because we see the worth in it. Isn't that true? The only reason we would ever devote ourselves to anything or continually devote ourselves to something is because we see the great worth in it for ourselves or at least for other people. We devote ourselves to our work because we know in our work we will make a paycheck. And maybe we will get better at our work and it's rewarding for us. We, we devote ourselves to different hobbies because we enjoy the satisfaction from building or accomplishing something or completing a project. We devote ourselves to experiences and how true it is for our culture today. Devoting ourselves and our resources not to things but to experiences because we want to see everything and enjoy the world around us. It's a devotion. But the devotion that Luke lists here in this verse, these things that are, they are devoted to are the things of the attitude of a spirit-filled person. And as those spirit-filled people come together, it is the culture that exists among the people of God. Why were they so devoted to these things? Why were they so devoted to the apostles' teachings, to the fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer? Why? Because they had been transformed. Because they had been made new. They had heard the word preached. They listened to Peter as he gave this sermon at Pentecost. They understood the salvation that was only in Christ. They were cut to the heart, it says. They were laid bare. They, the reality of their sin was on their shoulders. They, they understood the punishment that they were going to face. They understood that only Christ, in Christ, was their salvation. The Holy Spirit had applied the gospel to their hearts and opened up their eyes so that they could see for the first time the beauty and the love that God has offered them in Christ. And as an inevitable implication of their salvation, they became devoted to the church. This is what spirit-filled people do. The question isn't if we're going to be devoted. The question is what are we going to be devoted to? We all have the same hours in the day. We all have the same amount of days in a week. We're all going to be devoted to something, maybe work, maybe entertainment, maybe just resting, maybe experiences, maybe family, a whole range of things. But for the believer in Christ, the devotion we have is now directed because that's where we find joy, true joy in the spirit as spirit-filled people. 
This is what happens when we're spirit-filled. You say religious devotion, though, can come from a lot of different motivations. True religious devotion comes from the Holy Spirit working in us, but religious devotion can come from other places, and it's not from the gospel. We can be motivated by legalism, for instance, making these things into a checklist, making these things into law, and we think that, oh, if only I follow these rules, if I'm under the teaching, if I check, if I... uh, if I'm in fellowship, check. If I, if I have fellowship in, in breaking bread with believers, check. If I, if I pray, check. Now I'm acceptable to man and to God, and I've done the work, and I've made it. Legalism. If I follow these rules, I will be accepted. Legalism. It's not done out of joy. It's done out of duty and self-righteousness. Others are religiously devoted because of liberalism. They actually want to do everything in the world. They want to do all of the things they've always done. And they think that since now I have Christ, he's covered my sins. I'll just be devoted to the church in this way so that I can actually continue to do everything that I want. It's liberalism. And of course, that is not what we're called to. Neither of these things are true Christian devotion. Neither of things are wrought by the Holy Spirit. We don't want legalism, and and we don't want liberalism. We want liberty that comes from being a spirit-filled Christian. Liberty to have joy in what these things are. A devotion that is driven with the love and the joy that comes from Christ. Not that we have to do these things, but that we want to do these things because we're transformed by by the Holy Spirit. All of a sudden, after we get saved, we start reading the Word of God, right? Why? Because you see life in it. Because it's worth so much to you. The Spirit of God is working in you, and then He reveals the Word to you, and there's joy found in the Scriptures. You start listening to preaching. Why? Because the Holy Spirit uses preaching to apply the truth of God's Word to our hearts. We start going to to small groups. In the middle of the week, on a busy, everyone, so busy, right? But we make time to go to meet up with other believers in each other's homes to, to break bread maybe and to pray with one another and to have accountability and to share our sin and to share our struggles and to share our joys and to ask others to pray for us. Why? Because we're spirit-filled. See, if, if you were to go in a time machine and, and you went back to pre-Christ you, And you went to that person and you said to your old self, hey, do you want to read the Bible, listen to preaching, and go to small group so you can share all your secrets and sin and get prayed for? You'd be like, "Uh, no. No, I'm good. But not now. But not now. You're filled with the Holy Spirit of God. You've been transformed. Your desires have changed, and now we are devoted to things which bring us joy and glory to God. These things aren't a checklist to be accomplished as a Christian. They are things that happen because our lives have been uh, transformed by Christ. And you might say, well, my devotion isn't where it should be. My devotion isn't where it should be. And I'll say to you, join the club. Join the club. We're all still in the flesh as well, this body of death. 
and the, and the spirit and, the, and our spirit and our flesh struggle. And, and what we need to be doing is fighting the desires of the flesh and seeking the devotion that actually will bring us true joy as spirit-filled people. This last Tuesday, I uh, stayed back after uh, uh, work and we, I stayed um, to come to youth, to see how the youth are, are doing and just to observe and to, to encourage. And, and Matt does such a great job leading the youth ministry here. Um, but after, after youth, I was in the lobby here speaking to one of the parents. And we were just having a good conversation. And one of the uh, young men in our youth sort of just came up to me and asked a question. Didn't say hello or hi or excuse me. Just, I have a question, right? Praise God for the youth in our church. And, um, and so I was like, oh, okay, yeah. And uh, he said to me, how much do you pray? I was like, oh, sheesh. <laughs> I'm not coming to youth anymore. <laughs> this, <laughs> I don't know what you're teaching them, Matt, but that um, no, was good. I paused and I thought about it for a second. I was like, okay. Um, and the verse that came to mind was, uh, Paul writes in Ephesians, pray without ceasing. And so I replied, I said, you know what? Not enough. Probably not enough. I could always pray more. I try. I try. I try to pray before uh, decisions and meals and meetings and, and situations, but I could definitely pray more. I haven't reached the, the status of praying without ceasing, that's for sure. My devotion could be better, but what I do know is that in my devotion to Christ, in my devotion to prayer, that is where I receive the most joy. With the Spirit of God, our devotion can increase. And I tell you this, I tell you this, as if you are a believer in Jesus, if you've received the Holy Spirit... This is true for you. This isn't some far-fetched idea. This is true for you and in your life today because you are filled with the Holy Spirit, church. Here's a, here's a poor example, okay? But I'll try anyway. So how many of you guys cook at home, right? Yeah? You're the main cook at home? I'm definitely not. My wife, God bless her. She does, she's an amazing cook. She does all the cooking. But I've tried to start to help a little bit, okay? Get in the kitchen on Mondays and make a couple dishes. And uh, I really like spicy food, and I like Indian food. And so I've, I've learned how to make tandoori chicken. It's not perfect, it's not, you know, but I'm learning, okay? I'm trying. And um, I'm no master at it, but uh, I'll keep trying. And tandoori chicken has a lot of spices in it, right? Lots of spices, you got like a 12 different spices, you got to mix them together and then, and then put them to the chicken. And I like spice, so I put cayenne pepper in it, right? About half a teaspoon of cayenne pepper, mix it in there, and it's now spicy chicken. Because what happens when you add cayenne pepper to chicken? It's spicy, right? It's inevitable. This is what happens. And so if you don't like spicy food and you were to come to my house and you said, hey, can I have some chicken? I can't say, sure, it won't be spicy for you. It's going to be spicy. Why? Because I added a lot of cayenne pepper to the chicken. And so just like us, not that we're all chicken, but just like us, as we are filled with the Holy Spirit, our spice of life now is devotion. It is inevitable. This is who we are in Christ. The Spirit dwells within you, and now you can't just turn that switch off. 
You have devotion in these things. This is what will give you joy because you, believer in Jesus Christ, are filled with the Holy Spirit. Luke lists what devotion here will look like. And this is the flavor of our lives now. We devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching. We love the word of God. We love the fellowship of the believers. This is why we are here today, isn't it? We love the prayers and we love eating with one another and giving thanks to the Lord for everything he has provided. And so the question today is, what is your devotion? What is your devotion? Because I can tell you this, if you are a spirit-filled person, where you will receive the most joy is being devoted to these things. And as we come together as people who are devoted to these things, God will do a great work in our church. This is what's normal in the church. This is normal because the Spirit of God hasn't changed. God is the same God to Abraham as he was to David, as he was to the early church, as he is to us today. And the same Spirit who raised Christ from the dead dwells in you. This is normal for a Spirit-filled person and a Spirit-filled church. Let's continue in 43. Our second point is this. As spirit-filled people, we will have communal awe. Communal awe. It says this in 43. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. I think this is my favorite part of this uh, section of Scripture. It so intimately sums up the feeling within the normal church. It so well sums up what it is, the, the, the spice and the flavor of what's going on in the church. There was awe. Not complacency. Not complaining. Not contentment. There was awe. Awe. And not just one person, but every one of them. Filled with awe. Awe came upon them. Why is this normal for the church, to be filled with awe? It's because we have seen something that the world hasn't seen. Our eyes have been opened to a, an incredible truth that the world doesn't know. We have an experience with God now that should bring us to a moment of wow. How can we not have awe as every part of our day in life, really, when we just stop and think about it for a minute? Every breath we take is a gift from God. Wow. That my heart continues to beat. The Lord sustains us. Wow. How gracious is our God. That everything we have is from God. That God supplies in every need. Even when we're disobedient, he's there for us. Wow, that he is over all things and all the world and all the universe, and yet he cares for me? Wow. And how about that he's changed my heart? I used to be a different way. I used to be someone else, but now he's changed me, and, and I'm a new person in Christ. Wow, I used to be so different. He has made me new. He's brought me from death to life, from darkness to light. Wow. 
the gospel itself, just the simple message of the gospel. As we remember the simple message of the gospel, that we were enemies of God and God looked at us with pity and instead of just giving us what we deserve, he killed his own son so that we may have life. Wow. And then he adopts us into his family and then makes us ambassadors for his kingdom here on earth. Wow. We deserve none of this, but God has done it all. Wow. Since the Spirit has been gifted to us, since our eyes have been opened, since we believe in the gospel, we should be able to quickly move into a place of awe before our God. It should only take us a quick minute to slow down and remember who God is, what he has done for us, how he has saved us, how undeserving we are, how gracious he is. Wow. Wow, our God is good. How can awe not come upon us? This is what's normal for the people of God who are filled with his spirit. You have received the words of the gospel, have you not? You've been filled with the Holy Spirit. Have you walked through the waters of baptism in obedience? Then what could be hindering us right now from communally being in awe? That's why we're here this morning, church. To look to our God and just say, wow, you are good. Wow. You see, many religions try to manipulate awe. They try to conjure up ways that they can have some kind of fake awe experience. In Hinduism, for example, many of my ancestors would practice. They do yoga. And they think that if they contort their bodies and stretch in certain ways that they will realign their, their, their mind and soul and all of that and, and, they, and they will become more like nothing which is greater to the divine and then they will have awe. We don't need anything like that. We don't need some conjured up euphoric idea. In, in Islam, Muslims have to travel, travel to Mecca once in their life on a on a journey to, to go to this, what they would call a holy city so that they can go around this big rock in the middle of a temple and, and pray all of this stuff so that they can have some forgiveness of sins and a renewal, they say, a renewal of who God is and, and a reminder that, that he will judge us all one day. We don't need to do anything like that to have awe. We don't need to do anything with our body to conjure up awe of God because Christ has already done everything with his body so that we could be filled with the spirit and have awe. It's not what we can do, it's what he has done. The verses... The verse says that the apostles were doing wonders and signs. And sometimes we could read this verse maybe and think like, yeah, I'd be in awe too if I saw the apostles doing wonders and signs. Could you imagine if, you know, it just strengthened my faith so much if I could see the apostles just heal someone in the name of Jesus. Then I would have awe. I'll tell you this, for them actually, this isn't where the awe came from. 
There was awe and also this was happening. It's separate in the text. Secondly, if you can't get a sense of awe of who God is from remembering the gospel that has saved you, I can tell you this, there's not one miracle that could happen before your eyes that would cause awe. Jesus, who is God, did many miracles in front of many people, and they still sought to kill him. If you don't believe the word, you won't believe a miracle right in front of you. Why? Because that's not what brings awe. It's the Holy Spirit who is revealing the truth to you that will bring awe in your life. The apostles' wonders and signs were not being done to invoke awe in us. They were being done so that we would know and we would see that they have authority uh, from Christ to preach the word of God and to write the word of God, that their teaching had authority. And that was true for them in that day. And I'll tell you, church, it's true for us. The signs and wonders done by the apostles or through the apostles were done for their benefit and for our benefit, that we may open up the word of God and know that it is authoritative and from God. We have the word of God, and I'll tell you, it can inspire awe in you as well. Let's continue in our text. As spirit-filled people, we will have generous relationships. The third point. As spirit-filled people, we will have generous relationships. Verse 44 to 47, it says this. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. If I'm a spirit-filled person, I will have generous relationships. I will. That's what the spirit does in our lives. Because the spirit of God dwells in each of us, he will cause us to love one another. We now will trust one another. We will think the best of one another. We will sacrifice for one another. Our relationships with each other and the relationship of the church, it is a reflection of the relationship that God has for us. As we show love to one another, we will showcase the love that God has had for us. This is the normal church. This isn't something that only happened 2,000 years ago. It's something that happens today as we are spirit-filled. This is the bedrock of who we are to be, to be in this generous community with one another. A successful church, or the church in general, is not to be defined by how edgy it is, or how entertaining, or how experience-motivated, and emotional, and relevant, and radical, and high-impact, and any other buzzword you might have heard. None of those things are the substance of what the church is. The church or the gathering of the saved is about living together and having all things in common and, and experiencing the love of Christ through one another that we have received from Christ. And this text is not telling us to sell everything and to sell our homes and to bring in the proceeds next week. That's not what it's saying. And we know that because... Although in 45, it says they were selling their possessions and belongings. In 46, it says that they went to each other's homes. So 
They had houses. But what it means is that there should never be anyone in our church that has a need and that need is not fulfilled. If there is hunger, we feed. If there is poverty, we give. If there is sin, we encourage and give counsel. We, they were common and together. They were, they were not these part-time churchgoers. They were not observers of the church. Each of them involved together doing life. Why? Because they are spirit-filled, and this is normal for a spirit-filled person. There was a little bit of uniqueness here in this story, because what had happened was um, this whole story takes place during, the, uh, during Pentecost, the, the festival of Pentecost. And so a lot of Jews would have traveled from all over the place to come to Jerusalem for this specific festival, this time of year. And so there would have been thousands and thousands and thousands of people visiting the city. And, and this is when Peter gives his sermon. And so Peter gives his sermon. They're cut to the heart. They're saved by the gospel. And now they're there. And they don't go home because where home is, there's no church. And so they stay under the apostles' teaching to learn and to grow. And, and you could only imagine if you uh, went on a vacation, you planned a one-week vacation somewhere and brought clothes for a week and money for a week. And at the end of your trip, they said, actually, you're going to stay here for six months. You'd be like, okay, well, you're also going to have to provide me with some things that are necessary for living here for six months. I need a laundry machine and an ATM. Back then, they had neither of those things. And so the congregation came together and started to sell things. Sell things and give the proceeds to the needy people who were visiting the city. So the circumstance is a little bit unique. We don't have the same situation here today, but there's no difference in the heart or the desire that we have. Our heart should always be to fulfill the needs of the saints. Always. If you have more, God has given it to you so that you may share it with the needy. Everything we have is not our own. I'm so glad we live in a church that truly seeks this, and we see this. I, I'm preaching this right now, but I'm really preaching to the choir. Because we see this in our church. Praise God. Why do we see it in our church? Because the Spirit of God is dwelling within you. Because you are a spirit-filled people who have come together and you are normal in the church. So we see this regularly in our church. As a church, we've paid people's rents who have fallen into hard times and need help. Of course we've done that. Of course. We, single parents, we've helped first and last to get them a new place because of situations where they have to quickly move. We've seen the Spirit of God working through the generosity of our church as we, as we have as a church given thousands and thousands and thousands of food items to people in our community. Last, just last year, 2019, just last year, in missions giving, in church planting, and in compassion, you gave $170,000. Praise God. Praise God. 
That's the Holy Spirit working through you to accomplish his will. Each year, our elders give out thousands of dollars in grocery gift cards over the holidays, holidays to help families in need. And I, I was asking Pastor George, I said, how much money do you think we've given in total? He said, it's hard to say, but since our church has begun, we've given millions of dollars to church planting and missions. Millions of dollars. Millions of dollars. Praise the Lord. This is how the Holy Spirit is using you a spirit-filled people. And those are just the things I, 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 can, I know of and can report on, but I know that within our church, in secret, there are so many things going on. So much help and love going back and forth between people in this church. Praise God for you. Really cool uh, story happened just recently. So you'll remember in December, um, our elders put forward a uh, Christmas special offering goal of $120,000, and that was to go towards a bunch of different things. And uh, you might remember three days before New Year's, uh, it was a Sunday, and Pastor Jason came up and he, said, he gave a little bit of a report, and he said, we are at about 72,000 of the 120, and there's three days left in the year. And he implored the church, would you prayerfully consider to give this, give to this? And praise be to God and the faithfulness of the church. We met our $120,000 goal and we also exceeded it by $17,000. Earlier in the month of December, there was this couple that was visiting our church. And uh, if you're ever in here early before service, you'll see Pastor George kind of walking around trying to find the new people and to meet them and to, to greet them. And there was a couple that was sitting in the back, and uh, he went up, and he'd never seen them before, and so he introduced himself, and they got chatting, and they said, oh, we're just visiting right from out of town. We go to a church up in Beaverton. Now, people in Markham don't know where Beaverton is, but basically, if you get on 48 and just drive for an hour and a half, you'll get there. I know, you think it's like just tundra past Major Mac, right? Yeah. But there is, the people live up there. So... Uh, they go to a church called Fairhaven's Community Church in Beaverton. And, uh, and George was like, Pastor George was like, oh, really? Do you know Pastor David Sparrow? And I'm like, yeah, he's our pastor. He goes, funny enough, coincidentally, not coincidentally, just the sovereignty of God. <laughs> pastor Sparrow used to come to our church. And so they got talking a little more intimately about things and how church is going and what's happening. And, 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 and what happened was they started talking about this Pakistani family that they had sponsored. And they sponsored this Pakistani family who was um, uh, running from persecution. Because in, in Pakistan, and, 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 and Pastor Sparrow wrote to us and he said that this precious family, their, their only crime was loving Jesus. And so they committed to sponsoring this family. It's a small church up there in Beaverton. And it comes to this point, they, ha they have commitments until the summer and they've run out of money. And they're like, we have no idea where this money is going to come from. That kind of stayed in the back of Pastor George's head. And then the offering happened and blew us out of the water. And then in the new year, he brought the situation to the elders and everyone went, wow, our God is sovereign. And we were able to give $5,000 to this church in Beaverton to help this Pakistani family. I think we have a picture of them. Just to know where your giving is going, um, 
This is Adil, Monica, and their daughter, Bethany. Fleeing persecution, we are able to provide for the needs of the saints. Praise God. Praise God. And as we do this, as we do this, as we're spirit-filled and we're living out what God would have us do, you see it there at the end of 46. They receive their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. This is what happens. As we're spirit-filled, we have glad and generous hearts. And isn't that the way we truly want to live? Isn't that worth being devoted to? Let's finish up here with our fourth point. The last part of 47. As spirit-filled people, we will have a growing community. And this really is the result. A growing community. It says this, And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This is an important aspect of the normal church we see here. Normal churches grow. Churches that are filled with the Holy Spirit and doing what is normal by being filled with the Holy Spirit will grow. Why? Because God gives the growth. God gives the growth. See, the normal church, doing the things that a church is supposed to do, being filled with the Spirit and acting that way out to one another is actually very attractive to the person who is called by Christ. Because it exemplifies the gospel. And this is the only way the church truly grows as we proclaim the word of God faithfully in the apostles' teaching, as we have fellowship with one another, as we are in prayer. If you've ever heard a church growth strategy that has anything other, anything other to do with than the growth and discipleship of the people within the church, that plan is not from Scripture. It will not at all be effective. It will not attract any growth that's from God. All we can do is plant and water, but God gives the growth. That's 1 Corinthians 3, 7. One plants and one waters, but who gives the growth? God. God will give the growth. The Holy Spirit is working in you individually and then together corporately in the church. The proclamation of the true word of God, the awe that is inspired by the Holy Spirit about who our God is because of Christ in you, the fellowship that we have, the love we have for one another, the generosity we have, and living together in this way, all of these things lead to a growing community. When we are not being this normal church and we see growth, we should really, we should really be worried because that growth is coming from our own efforts. That growth is coming with a bait and switch. That growth is not coming from the work of the Holy Spirit. But our best witness, the best witness of our church is being who Christ has made us to be. Are you a spirit-filled person? I pray that you would be devoted to these things. That you would be in awe of who your God is. That you would live in a generous community, seeking out others to help. And then God will give the growth. So let's be a normal church, as the Spirit would have us be. Let's pray. So Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace. Lord, we thank you for 
the love that you've poured out on us, God. We thank you, Lord, that your spirit has filled us as a gift from you. Lord, and now being spirit-filled people, Lord, we can, we can receive joy from doing the things you've called us to do. Lord, that our motivation in doing these things can give you glory. Lord, that we will receive joy as we sit under your teaching and as we read your word. Lord, that we can receive joy as we have fellowship with other believers, as we're in accountability, as we break bread with one another. Lord, and joy as we pray to the living God who answers and hears our prayer. Lord, thank you, God. Would we be a normal church, a church that is filled with your spirit, Lord, and not distracted by everything else. Lord, thank you for your grace. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.